Hello, welcome to the Welsh Rugby Podcast by Wales Online. Just a quick thank you for however you're listening. Before we start, we do record this podcast three times a week. And the only way to stay with your finger on the pulse and hear every single one is to subscribe to get those notifications. Why not drop us a cheeky review while you're there? Anyway, let's talk some rugby. I'm Ben James, and today uh, joined by another special guest. There's no Matthew Southcombe, no Simon Thomas. We've got James Hook um, for a special podcast. Uh, James, how you doing? Yeah, I'm good. Yeah, afternoon, Ben. How are you? Not too bad. Uh, enjoying pre-season? Yeah, as much as you can enjoy pre-seasons. Uh, we're coming to the tail end of it now. So it's, uh, yeah, it's been good. It's been tough. It's been a bit different, obviously, because because of the World Cup. Uh, our season starts a bit later, so... We've had a lengthy old pre-season, but it's, uh, it's been managed well, and uh, yeah, the boys boys have been doing well. You, you might find this hard, you know. It's, it's the first World Cup cycle as a player that you haven't been involved in, which is probably some. Yeah, it is actually. Yeah, it takes a bit of sort of. Uh, <laughs> yeah, sort of thinking about, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. And uh, mind you, well, the Ospreys pre-season has still been uh, tough enough, but uh, yeah, I, I don't miss those uh, those camps and uh, the build-up to the World Cup. You know, they they're pretty tough but um, obviously they get the boys in the best physical condition that they can possibly be in so you know I sh- should imagine other boys are ready to go now and uh, looking forward to getting the World Cup started What have you made of uh, sort of Wales how they've gone in the first three sort of warm-up games? Yeah it's, it's been interesting I think uh, obviously the first England game you know they, they've said that they don't want to focus too much on, on results and uh, that first one didn't go to plan but you know when they came back to Cardiff it was a bit more like, like the Welsh team we know and uh, and against Ireland, obviously, the last game, you know, they made a lot of changes, so it's hard to look too much into that one as well. So you'll have a bit more of an idea now when they go up to Dublin on the weekend. Uh, it's, it's, not, it's obviously not full strength team, but it's just, it's pretty full strength. And uh, yeah, they should be ready and prepped for the for the first game against Georgia. Well, so what, what, what sort of result are you expecting then from the weekend? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I think ideally they'd, they'd want to win, but they'd, they'd want a good performance and... Uh, just keep everyone fit, keep everyone injury free, and you know we're going to that that first game against Georgia with with plenty of confidence and, and a clean bill of health. We touched upon it briefly there that you've been to three World Cups, um, so let's let's talk a bit about those. Let's start yeah. with the first one, two thousand and seven. Yeah, that seems a long time ago yeah, now, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, don't, I don't want to make you feel old. I think yeah. it was the first year of high school. I was at that was point. It? Yeah, oh, flip the neck. Um, yeah, yeah, it was a long time ago, and uh, yeah, I, I loved I loved it. Obviously. The, the fact is going to a World Cup but at a young age was was brilliant for me personally um, going out the way we did wasn't wasn't so great um, you know Fiji losing to Fiji in that last group game was uh, yeah it was pretty disappointing for everyone you know players supporters and ev- everyone who was Welsh really but it was, it was a great game and you know Fiji like I say deserved it and uh, yeah it was it was sad obviously because Gareth Jenkins uh, obviously lost his job off the back of it and uh Someone, you know, Gareth Jenkins, Nigel Davis gave me my opportunity with Wales to start with. So, you know, I f- felt you know really gutted for those for those guys. But um, yeah, that's, I suppose that's rugby. Because you you come into that tournament sort of off the back of the meteoric rise, hadn't you? Sort of the summer before was the Argentina tour, then the Australia game in the autumn, and then you finished the Six Nations probably as first choice fly half with that game against England, didn't yeah. you? So you, you you came into that tournament sort of yeah, like I say, that, that first sort of. From 2006 uh, summer to obviously you know the World Cup 2007, yeah, a lot happened and uh, like I say, you know, I got a lot of respect and um, for for Nigel Davis and Gareth Jenkins. And I remember Nigel. I was still playing for Neath when I had my first cap and 
you know, he, he got me in, once I was calling to the Welsh squad, he, he called me aside and said, you know, you're not here just to, just to hold some pads. You, you're going to be involved, you know, out in Argentina and play. And true to his word, he, he gave me my first cap and you know, I won two caps on that tour. And like you say, the, the rest was history then. And then, obviously, you weren't involved at Twickenham, were you, in that in that warm-up game, were you? Uh, when, when we lost, was it the, yeah, the, before the, six, the World Cup? Yeah. No, no. Um, you managed to get out of that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, I think myself and Mike Phillips, I think we were, I think we may be on the bench or we were 24th man, I think. But yeah, we didn't actually play. But um, yeah, that was uh, a pretty big defeat. So what was, what was the sort of like the mindset in camp after that? You know, you, you're going through World Cup preparations <clears> and, you know, you, you you say it's not about winning or losing, but then when you lose by 60-odd points to Twickenham, that probably goes a bit out of the window, doesn't it? Yeah, it does actually. I think, well, look at England and, and Ireland, you know, Ireland uh, losing by sort of 50-odd points against England. You talk about results not meaning a lot before the World Cup, but... When you get get sort of stuffed by that amount, it, it doesn't do you any good, and uh, you know it didn't it didn't do us a lot of good to be fair. But uh, yeah, we still went into the World Cup with with confidence because we we knew we had we had a quality squad. Or, you know, we thought we had a quality squad at the time, but um, yeah, it just just wasn't to be. And uh, that, that Fiji game will uh, live long in the memory for for all the wrong reasons, really. First up was was Canada, wasn't it? Which you started at ten. Mm-hmm. Um, and then trailing was it seventeen nine I think sort of in the second half and Stephen Jones came on and that was that was that was your last sort of well, your first and last opportunity at ten wasn't it in the tournament in, really? in the World Cup yeah, yeah. I played at uh, twelve I think most of the time then for the rest of the World Cup um, but yeah I think that's probably the story of our tournament we always play in catch up and like we could say we probably scraped through against Canada um, Australia we obviously we lost and you know Japan you know, was probably our best performance in our World Cup back in the Millennium Stadium. And then, yeah, to be honest, with you, I thought we were probably all just a bit too confident against against Fiji. Fiji were, were a good team, obviously knocking us out, but they probably weren't as good as they are now. And we just took them for granted. And uh, like I say, they, they rightly deserved deserved a win. And uh, it's crazy actually because after the game, you know, we were all disappointed. They they were thrilled, and all the Fijians, the players, were coming up to us asking us for autographs and photos. And <laughs> like, you know, we the ones who should be asking you for the photos and autographs. And uh, that just shows how sort of humble the Fijians were, and obviously they, they put a good fight up against South Africa as well in the quarterfinals. Going back to Canada, obviously played fly half against Canada, and then that was that was it. Were you disappointed that that was your sort of your one and only <coughs> chance in, in the ten jersey in in the World Cup? Um, yeah, maybe looking back, I think you know, but I did, like I say, I did play at twelve then, and you know, just like a story of my career, really, you know, shuffling around the back line. Um, but yeah, sometimes games of rugby go like that, and you only have to look back to last weekend, you know, with Patchell and um, and Jared Evans. You know, the way the game went for Jared Evans in that first half, you know, I felt really sorry for him because, you know, he didn't have an opportunity to really show what he's all about. You know, he's probably one of the best attacking tens probably currently in the Welsh setup, um, but he didn't have a chance to show that. And uh, Patchell came on and, and obviously done really well, and and probably deserves a spot there. But you know, it'd be interesting to see if you know if. Patchell had started that game and Jared Evans came on. Would he be going to the World Cup? You know, it's, uh, it's just the way rugby goes sometimes. We've touched um, upon the Fiji game. Obviously, that was the game it came down to, wasn't it? Must mm. win and just, it, just what was what was that game like to play in? Because it, it was it was probably sort of every sort of cliche about how you don't play against Fiji, wasn't it? The sort yeah. of you know you, you get sucked into their game. It was probably every single cliche you could sort of pull out of the book on that. Yeah, one, I know, it? I know, and. Uh, yeah, we played some great rugby, as did, as did Fiji, and we, we threw it about a bit, scored some great tries. 
Um, but yeah, you know, they, they just had the the strength and the, and the character to, to get over the line and beat us in the end. And we could have quite easily have won that game. But um, yeah, we lost. And I think everyone was just shell shocked. Everyone in the change room after was like, you know, what what the heck has gone on here? Like, um, but yeah, it was it was disappointing. Like I say, Galchenko is leaving then and. You know, most of the families had booked tickets for the quarter final, and my my parents had had booked to go to, go and watch the quarter final. Um, and then we arrived home on the Sunday, and I was waving my parents off on on the Sunday afternoon. We were going back out to France <laughs> to watch the quarter final. Wheels we weren't even in, so uh, yeah, yeah, not 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 great memories, but uh, yeah, you know, that's that's the way it goes. But was it was there anyone sort of during that Fiji game? Was there anyone sort of standing up and saying, "Listen, you know, let's let's tighten things up," or was it just not that sort of? I think we just got, got caught in the moment, you know. It was uh, probably for the neutral. It was, it was one heck of a game, probably one of the best games in the World Cup at, at the time. But um, not for, not for a Welshman. And uh, you know, we had, we had some real experienced boys there: Alfie, Stephen Jones, Nugget, Shane Williams. You know, all these boys. But yeah, you know, we probably just got caught in the moment, and uh, yeah, we didn't deserve to win. And, and Fiji did. Simple as that. Obviously, in France, um, away from the pitch, there was. I think there was. I know there was a few pranks. Um, I know Mark Jones, Dwayne Peel had a bit of a running battle. What was what was that sort of squad like when it came to the sort of the off off the field antics? Yeah, it's brilliant. Like you say, we had some great characters like like Alfie, Mark Jones, Dwayne Peel. You know, those boys put in. Uh, I think some some sort of animal like sheep or something in each other's rooms and things like that. So, yeah, everything off the field was was brilliant, and uh, I think I think pretty much every squad I've been in from from two thousand six. That's one of the things, you know, we, we've been tight as a group and it's a great bunch of boys and, uh, yeah, there's no, there's no question there was anything off the pitch. Because I suppose that must have been important, sort of coming from literally playing for Neath to mm. being in, in a Wales setup. you know, that's that's a daunting prospect, isn't it? So I suppose integrating into the squad quite nicely like that, that that's, that's everything, isn't it? 100%. And uh, I remember watching Wales 2005 Grand Slam as a fan in Cardiff, just playing, still playing for Neath. You know, never really, only dreamed of playing for Wales. And then a year later, I'm on a summer tour, and actually, Mark Jones was my first roommate out in Argentina. And <laughs> yeah, he's uh, he's brilliant. You know, he's almost like a sort of father figure to me, and uh, he could, couldn't do enough for me. And you know, something I'll always remember. And I think, you know, when I see young boys coming through, and you tr- you try and look after them as as I was sort of looked after when I was coming through, because you know, you remember those things, and it is important. And obviously, with with the World Cup in in France everyone sort of remembers that abiding image of, of the team getting back to the Vale mm. and, and then Gareth Jenkins getting off the bus and sort of walking the last 100 <clears> yards <throat> just what, what was being on the bus what was that like for the players yeah like like, like you say it all happened so quickly because we lost on a Saturday we were home on a Sunday um, and obviously Gareth Jenkins being told the Sunday morning before we left that uh, you know he's he's sort of getting the sack and yeah that moment on the bus I think it'll live in the memory of all the players because as you know, if you've ever been to the Vale, you know, you turn into the Vale Hotel, uh, the main entrance, um, but everyone knew, you know, there'd be a lot of press there waiting outside the hotel, so they dropped him off and he had that long walk up the, up the lane towards the back of the, the sort of barn, the training area, and uh, yeah, it was sad to see because he's, he's a great bloke, Garth Jenkins, and all the boys in the squad, a lot of respect for him, and yeah, just, uh, just it was sad to see that actually, but um, yeah, like I say, that's just the nature of the sport and yeah, it went on, went on from there. Obviously, coaches live and die by results. But as players, how much, how much sort of responsibility and perhaps even guilt do you sort of feel when when these things happen? Does that sort of play on your mind? 
Uh, yeah, I think so. I think ultimately in, in professional sport, not just rugby, the coach uh, carries a can, didn't he? As as did Gareth Jenkins. But I think the players, you know, felt a lot of responsibility, and you know they didn't shrug that. You know, and I think everyone in the squad felt, you know, they all had a part to play in in Wales getting knocked out in two thousand and seven, and they wouldn't for one minute put the blame on just Gareth Jenkins or Nigel Davis or or anyone else for that matter. Obviously, then after after that, that's when Warren Gatland took over. Um, what was the sort? Of, what was the what, what? What was the difference? Sort of like when, when Gatlin took over in, in the camp. <clears throat> um, I think it was just a fresh face, you know. And sometimes when you're not not going well, just someone to freshen it up helps a lot. I think what he did was just simplify a heck of a lot, you know. For example, the game plan hasn't changed a heck of a lot since he's been in charge. Um, just had the forwards, you know, running around the corner, running hard, carrying hard. Uh, so they had simple, clear messages going into games, as did the backs, really. Um, but I think in terms of his training, he cut the training down. Um, you know, everything was timed. Before he went out onto the onto the field, we'd have a meeting. He'd tell you the session's going to be this long. Probably wouldn't be last last longer than 40, 45 minutes. But it'd be intense. You knew exactly what you were doing. And you'd get off the pitch and, and that was it, you know. And I think, <clears throat> you know, that first game he took over in, against England... Everyone knows, you know, he picked 13 Ospreys because at the time the Ospreys were, were playing really good rugby and it obviously worked for him, you know, probably looking at the half-time against England, it could have gone the other way, but uh, yeah, obviously there was, that was the start of his reign and uh, yeah, it was, it was a very good start for him. You said, you know, he simplified everything for forwards and for the backs. Mm. Uh, as, as an individual, how, how did you find that? Because you probably thrive sort of in that maybe perhaps more sort of complicated sort of system. Yeah, I suppose as a 10, you see two sides of the coin and like against Fiji, you know, in games, sometimes you can win those games by chucking it about, looking looking pretty and, you know, playing great rugby. But um, obviously against Fiji, it didn't happen. And I think Gatlin, you know, just sort of for, for a 10, for example, you know, you'd play off 10 inside the 15s and then use the forwards, you know, outside the 15s. And just everybody was on the same page and, I think uh, it obviously worked really well in, in 2008 when we won the Grand Slam and obviously kicked on from there. And then obviously throwing ahead to the 2011 World Cup, um, probably probably quite an interesting sort of four years under under Warren Gatland for you, mm. wasn't it? You started off as first choice, fly half. <coughs> then um, you ended up in the centre a bit. Mm-hmm. I think 2010, you were playing 12 and 13, a bit of fullback as well. Yeah, yeah. But you, you went into that 2011 World Cup with... I'm pretty sure, at least in Gatlin's own words, as being someone who had to sort of be somewhere in the backline, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. It was like I mentioned just now, and I've sort of gone right through the backline really. And I think it was 2010 or t- maybe in 2011, Six Nations. I'd played. I'd start at a 10 centre and fullback, so I didn't really get any sort of continuity. And you know, it's not just playing in those games; it's training throughout the week as well in in different positions. I suppose it it does take us toll a little bit and. You know, I'm not not saying uh, it's, it's Gatlin's fault for picking me in those positions because I've got to step up as well and and deal and deal with it as well. So yeah, you know, probably leading into the World Cup, um, didn't have really the consistency at ten. Um, but yeah, Preston obviously came through and started that World Cup at ten, and, and I was playing fifteen in that first game. Because he probably stole a bit of a marsh, didn't he, on everyone? Just the way the way he sort of came through, <coughs> didn't he? You know, um, think- oh, he's he he's outstanding. I think. Against England in Twickenham, he sort of really put a marker down because um, probably up until then he'd just been, a, you know, he, he was a really good club player for Leslie. Um 
and when he got his opportunity, he took it with both hands. Um, but it was literally, I, <coughs> I honestly thought probably leading up to the World Cup, the South Africa game, the first game, it looked like I was going to be sort of starting at 10. You know, all the signs were there. I played in the last game against Argentina at 10. thought I played really well. Um, but it was a Tuesday or the Monday or Tuesday leading up to the first game that I was told I was playing 15 then. So, you know, I sort of had to sort of shift my mindset a little bit then after that. And uh, like I say, Priestland was fanta- fantastic at 10 in that World Cup and, uh, you know, deserves all the accolades he gets, really. How did you find playing 15? Because obviously, na- natural 10. <clears throat> 15 is a sort of very different sort of position to play. How, how did you personally find it? Um, oh, in that game, you know, it was it was fine. You know, obviously I've played a 15 quite a lot before that. Um, but I think it just, it wasn't so much technically at the, at the change anything. It was just shift of mindset, really. Probably the thought of going out there playing a 10, then to playing a 15, just, just sort of get a mindset change. And uh, yeah, you know, it was, it was a very good game against South Africa, really physical. Um yeah, just come on the wrong wrong side of the result. I was going to say because that that game sort of laid down the marker for the World Cup, didn't it? Mm. Um, you know, you think Dan Lydia had, had an outstanding yeah. game, Falatau, <clears throat> so many players sort of had great games and could, could easily have, have won it. Um, I think was it your penalty that? Yeah, yeah. Pro- well, pro- went, still went, think this day <laughs> went, went over. Went over. Went, didn't go to the, the third, uh, the fourth official. Sorry, but uh, yeah, you know, small margins rugby, but. Uh, yeah, like you mentioned, those those young boys at the time, your Warburton's, Lydiates, George North, Falatau, Jonathan Davis, these boys really come of age in in that World Cup, and yeah, it just really catapulted them, you know, in, into the Welsh and uh, the World Game. Because I suppose in in hindsight, had had that penalty gone over, we'd have probably played Australia in the quarterfinal rather mm. than Ireland. But then, yeah, then I suppose that's not something you really think about, is it? That's not. No, we worked out right in the end yeah. as far as the quarterfinals uh, go. Yeah, but. Yeah, so many different permutations, but uh, yeah, I think at that group of boys at, at the time, how, how confident they were feeling, you know, you could have put them in front of anyone, to be fair, and uh, they were probably fronted up. So then the second game again was Samoa, which mm-hmm. you started at full-back, <clears throat> but obviously then Halfpenny came on, didn't he, uh, second half? Yeah. And, yeah, so and, and made uh, that position sort of his own, didn't he? Which... Yeah, he did, he did, and I remember speaking early Halfpenny before that World Cup, because he was touch and go, because he had an ankle injury, and... Um, you know, he managed obviously to, to get onto the into the World Cup squad, and yeah, he took his opportunity again with both hands. And I come off at half, I think it was half time. I, for some stupid reason, I tried to put a big shot on one of the two Langy brothers, and uh, just had a, had a stinger, and uh, yeah, it pulled me out for about two or three weeks during our World Cup. But uh, yeah, like you say, half penny sort of again, another one who come of age and uh, didn't look back after that World Cup. Was it frustrating though that you sort of come into this World Cup? sort of probably missed out on the 10 jersey to an extent and now the 15 jersey which you had had sort of been sort of taken off you and so you yeah. probably left in a bit of sort of no man's land after two games weren't you yeah yeah 100% I think probably that that campaign was the most frustrating in my international career just in in terms of yeah you can say positionally moving around but just the way it performed as well and probably the expectation I had for myself not not, any, not to mention outside that and uh, yeah just just didn't feel like I performed the way I wanted to, whether that was positionally, injury-wise, or, or just, just going out and performing on the pitch. Because then in terms of appearances after that, was it not until then the Ireland game off the bench? Would that be the next one? Yeah, yeah. so I managed to get back for the Ireland game, got on the bench, um, played the last, I don't know, five, six minutes, and then obviously played in the semi-final and when Priestland got injured after that Irish game. 
because that must have been sort of you're basically thrown into a World Cup semi final having not played <coughs> well, only five six minutes of, of fly half mm. throughout the whole tournament. That that's just got to be some sort of ridiculous situation in many ways, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I, probably looking back, I wasn't prepped the way I would have ideally wanted to be. Um, but at the same time, I was so excited and say, like I say, the expectation for myself. You know, I really wanted to do well and 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 impress and. So still try and lay a marker down and show that I can I can play a ten, but you know as everyone knows the game didn't really go like that and um, yeah just looking back now we could have so easily won that game but so many different factors and uh, yeah we just came out in the wrong end of the result again on that one. Do you still think about that game? Uh, trying to think about it too much. I still haven't even watched it back. You know it's just uh, you know it was what it was. I suppose at the time everyone was. So disappointed again, frustrated. Everyone in the changing room was just just devastated because they know how close we we did come to to get that final. And like I say, we could have come up against any team in our World Cup, and we didn't fear anybody. That group of boys were just were just young and just uh, just wanted to get out there and show what they were all about. And yeah, that that was the most disappointing thing. So obviously, there was a few missed penalties, weren't there? And there was a few late chances. Yeah. I suppose it all—it sort of fell to all three of you, didn't it? it? At least it wasn't sort of you know one person had missed a penalty. So, you know, you missed a couple of penalties. Steve missed a penalty. Lee missed a penalty. So yeah, yeah. You know, it, it sort of. Yeah, and that's—I suppose—as a kicker, you you live and die by the sword, and you know you've you come off the back of uh, of of results where you've won games because you're kicking, and, and you're going to lose games because you're kicking, and just unfortunately, it was in a, probably the biggest game of of most of the Welsh players' lives at that time but uh, that's, that's the way it goes and you know he's picking himself up af- after a game like that was was tough um, and should after the World Cup I moved to France to, to Perpignan so the, the team just got knocked out too in, in, in the World Cup but uh, that, that wasn't ideal but again it was a fresh start and and something sort of uh, changed the focus really if not, and, not, and not being in Wales you know was something completely different for me not playing in Wales my club rugby um, but you know, obviously, something I really did enjoy in the end. Okay, what 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 was it like in camp, sort of in the immediate aftermath of that? Because I suppose, you know, you just lost a World Cup semi final, and you know, captain got sent off in controversial mm. manner. Just just the way the whole sort of thing <laughs> happened, that must have been sort of impossible to pick yourself off the floor, really. Yeah, yeah, it was. It was. It was. Uh, yeah, it's just disappointment. Gutted, boys. Gutted. You know, we we had to just pick, we had to pick ourselves up. Um, we had a couple of days off after that, um, and the boys had the, the Sunday to themselves. You know, boys chilled out. You know, went went for for a couple of drinks and just just try to forget it. You can't forget it, um, and just had to try and learn from it really. And uh, yeah, it was, it was it was a great World Cup for so many reasons, but uh, yeah, disappointing as well at the same time. Do you think had you got to the final, you'd have won? Yeah, hindsight's great in it, but I think, like I say, we had no fear. Any team we kept against, we, we felt we could beat. Um, even France, you know, we obviously lost two. We felt we could beat those. And if we'd have played New Zealand in that final, you know, the boys would have would have given their all. And you know, the way obviously New Zealand they won that World Cup, but you know, won, won a great final. Um, and we had some unbelievable players. And we've still got some unbelievable players in that team. Like the boys we mentioned, you know, Warburton, Lydia, Falato, Jonathan Davis, Halfpenny, all these British Lions who've come of age, they, they were unbelievable. Not to mention the experience then of Mike Phillips, Lee Byrne, Shane Williams, and I'm probably missing out boys now. 
as I'm saying them, you know, it's, it's a fantastic squad and I think everyone in Wales, you know, knows we probably should have gone one step further. What was what was the experience like in New Zealand? Because Wales sort of became everyone's sort of second favourite team mm. over there, didn't they? Yeah, you just felt as the World Cup was going, you know, the momentum was building and everyone was getting behind behind Wales, you know, the New Zealand supporters. Just just loved uh, loved it every time you know Wales played and just everyone on the streets. You know, I think that was the the biggest World Cup where you actually felt like you were in, involved in the World Cup, which was some silly because you look, go back to the French World Cup in 2007, we were staying out in Nantes. And you're back in Cardiff. And we were back in Cardiff and in Nantes where we were staying. It didn't actually feel like we were involved in the World Cup. It was quite quiet, lovely spot. But, you know, I think some boys felt like, you know, we, we wanted to be in the mix and, and get our World Cup feeling. In New Zealand, you certainly felt that. And like I say, all, everyone got behind the team and... Uh, yeah, it was just just disappointing we couldn't finish off on a, on a positive note. Because it's probably unlike, unlike pretty much any other country, isn't it? When it comes to to rugby, like you, just everybody knows their rugby over there, doesn't it? It's, it's like something else. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, definitely. And it's a little bit like Wales in that respect. And you know, we turn on the TV out there, you know, there's rugby on pretty much every other channel. Um, and and they're mad for their rugby. And you know, you just go out into the town. There's there's New Zealand memorabilia everywhere you go. Um, the hackers being performed left, right, and centre. So you you can't get away from it there. Um, obviously, another thing that was at that World Cup was uh, I think the drywall, wasn't it? The what? Sorry? The dry the drywall. Didn't Sam have his uh, his dry chart on the wall? Sort of how many days without alcohol? That's, uh, that's always one. That... You might have had a drywall. Yeah, oh, did you, you ignore it? Yeah. Did you? <laughs> um, I think that, to be honest with you, the boys are really good. And like I say, it wasn't until that uh, after that World Cup semi final. The boys, the boys had a drink then, obviously, you know, to sort of uh, drown this orders a little bit. But I think everybody was uh, was professional, um, was you know listened, obviously respected Sam as a captain, and everyone got behind behind him. And and as a squad, you know, we knew, like I say, the boys we had in that team, we had we had something special there. And uh, yeah, the boys were really professional. And uh, yeah, I don't don't remember the drywall, but. Uh, yeah, we didn't have too many uh, too many drinks there. What was he like as a captain? Because obviously that was he was I think he was twenty one at the time, and that was his first experience <clears throat> of cap- captaincy. So he he was very much sort of learning on the job. Yeah, so. he did. Yeah, and I think everyone knows what he's like as a player and as a, as a bloke. He's he's brilliant. And Matthew Reese was obviously the captain leading into that World Cup before he got injured. Um, but yeah, like rugby's a funny game, and anything can happen. And you know everything. Anything can change so quickly, and uh, but it. But obviously that World Cup made him as a player, as a person, as as a captain. Just uh, just made him, and uh, he's another one that just didn't look back from it. And then um, moving on to your last World Cup, I suppose again it was it was different circumstances, wasn't it? Because mm. you were involved in the training squad. Um, you'd have played you'd have played the last warm up game against, or the second to last warm up game rather against yeah, Ireland and Cardiff, yeah. wasn't it? And yeah, that was. Yeah. So a couple of days before the squad was announced, they, they were announced. Uh, was it announced in between? It was in between the two. Yes, yeah, so it was about four or five days before we played on the Saturday. I think we had a trip, uh, three or four day camp in North Wales, and then the end of that weekend, I think it was a Thursday or Friday, they let the boys know then that uh, they had the job. What was what was that like? Cause, you know, you'd, you'd always been on sort of the other side of, mm. of it. What's it What's it like being on? Sort of, I suppose the more the more brutal side of, of that decision. Yes, yeah, it's, it's not nice. It's not nice at all. But um, I think to be honest, I was half expecting it. I was up against it before I even went to the World Cup camps and played a great deal leading up leading up to the the camps. And like you say, I played in that that Irish game 
Um, but I was always felt like I was playing catch up. You know, my, my fitness and, and everything like that has never been a problem, so I wasn't worried about that. It was just whether I could get an opportunity, and like we had an opportunity against Ireland in that last but one warm up game. But you know, it was it was a squad. It was pretty much 14, 15 changes. It was a squad that was thrown together. I think we had one, two rugby sessions before that, so pretty much been doing all conditioning before it. Um, again, but you know, you know, it's no excuse. We we as a team didn't perform, and that obviously didn't help. You know, my selection, uh, Richard Hibbard's, Mike Phillips selection at the time. Um, and like I say, we got back from North Wales and and then sort of had an email to say that uh, yeah we wouldn't be wouldn't be selected. Is that how you received the news by email? Was it? Uh, yeah, with an email from uh, Caroline Morgan, the, the the secretary, who you know sort of deals with all the admin stuff. And uh, yeah, was, you know we also had the same email. Um, and yeah, it was simple as that really. You know, we'd done sort of three different camps. You know, tough old old slog. And then it was. Just uh, you have sort of World Cup dreams, but it's back to your club then. So I joined up with Gloucester, but as it happened, you know, lucky enough. Well, not lucky for the boys who got injured, but lucky for me that uh, you know I did get involved in that 2015 World Cup and managed to play in. I think it was three or four games in the end, so it, was, uh, it worked out the right. What's it? What's it like coming into sort of a, a campaign like that, sort of late as an injury replacement? Um. <clears throat> yes. I don't know, you're just used to it as a, as a sportsman, I suppose. And it wasn't too difficult because I'd only just left them about a month or so before. You know, I'd been with them for, for three months on, on all the various camps. So it wasn't too difficult to settle in. You know, obviously, you know all the boys you know, so well. So nothing's changed as far as pattern was concerned and things. It was just about getting in there and trying to, trying to lay my marker down. And obviously, I think you were involved in sort of the last couple of, of pool games and then obviously the quarter final wasn't it against yeah. South Africa yeah uh, you know at, at that point it was pretty much walking wounded wasn't it it was sort yeah. of the boys were on their last legs pretty much yeah so it's, it's crazy I've never known anything like it really for injuries and I was with, with Gloucester um, with a pre-season game I think against Bath and then the Wales-England game was on uh, we watched it in the clubhouse and you know obviously there was a few injuries there and just boys were dropping like flies and obviously before the World Cup against Italy, Lee Halfpenny, Reese Webb went down and yeah, it just seemed to be every single game. It was almost like not not if someone's going to get injured, who's going to get injured in this game and it was, and to, sh- to see how, how well Wales did did perform with all those injuries, you know, someone like Lloyd Williams jumping on the wing and performing so well, everyone backing each other and getting behind behind each other was 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 great, yeah. What was the mindset like in that camp? Because you'd imagine, given everything that happened, it was probably sort of quite siege mentality, was it? Yeah, it was. It was, it was like, well, you can't do anything about it. You just got to just see how, how the depth of the squad reacts. And, uh, you know, we certainly did test the full strength and depth of that squad. But, um, yeah, showed the boys all there to, to play for each other. And, you know, I remember watching that game against England, fantastic victory. And, you know, that would have given the boys so much confidence. So three three very different sort of World Cup experiences, yeah. I guess you'd say, wouldn't it? Yeah, um, yeah. How, how do you sort of, <coughs> com- comparing the three of them, how, how do you sort of look back on them as being sort of different? Um, yeah, like you say, all all different. In the first one was pretty much like, you know, wow, like you can't believe it, you're going to a World Cup. It's all sort of just excitement, excitement for every World Cup. But as a, as a, as a youngster, as I say, you know, I was probably... 21 maybe something like that 22 um, so just going to a World Cup you know you're achieving your dreams and and then 2011 was 
was right, you know, like I say, there was a lot of expectation. It's like, you know, you've had 50-odd caps, 60-odd caps under your belt. You know, it was about going and delivering. Um, and then, like I say, the 15, uh, 2015 World Cup was, yeah, you sort of just sort of scraped on. And again, it was, at the time, I, I knew that 2015 World Cup was probably going to be my last World Cup just because the way you, you just can just see it going as a player. Um, so I went on there and just uh, thought, well, you know, I'm just going to go enjoy it, give my best and, and see what happens. Do you sort of savour those sort of, those moments more? Definitely. I did savour the 2015 World Cup a lot more than I did the 2007 and 11, 100%. Um, because as you get older, I think you savour every game, even now with the Ospreys, you know, you know, you, you do take for granted games sometimes, but every time, you know, I go on the training field or, or play, you know, you, you know, you're one step closer to, to the end. So, you know, you just try and make the most of it. And what are the sort of the abiding memories of the of the World Cup that you, you'll sort of cherish more more than the rest? Um, I don't know. It's a tough question. That is, I think, just looking back from a young boy, you know, you want to be involved in World Cups. So to actually get there and achieve, and and, and I've been involved in three World Cups. You know, you sort of look. You look when you look back. You know, you sort of uh, realize what 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 you've you've done and. And what you've achieved, I suppose, but when it when it in there, it's just, it's you know it's tough really, and it's it's mentally draining sometimes because you constantly focus on on the job in hand, and you don't really have time to take take it in too much. Speaking of mentally draining, how how did sort of training camps sort of evolve across those three tournaments? Um, yeah, it got tougher probably as <laughs> as it went on. Two thousand seven, they're all tough, but I think two thousand seven. Uh, that that was tough, and and the guys. What, what, what did you do for two thousand seven? Um, we did a lot of things in in the Vale, based in the Vale, basically. Okay. Um, so you know, it was just basically a lot of pre-season stuff, as as you see now, for example, with the Ospreys. Um, but then two thousand eleven was the first real shift in in conditioning, and we went to Poland, and you know, it was not a lot going on there. So we we were out on the on the pitch, sort of two times a day. We were in the gym three times a day. Sometimes we would. Weights in the morning, weights mid afternoon, and some, we were going up to the gym nine o'clock in the night then to do a half hour pump before bed. Then we'd up at six o'clock in the morning, literally just relentless. Um, but you know that really bonded the squad, and you know, it was definitely the fittest I've ever been in 2011. I think most of the boys in that camp would say the same. Um, and 2015 was the same, and a little little bit different in terms of where we went. For example, we went to Doha for heat training. Of course, yeah. um, but yeah, they're all all tough in Switzerland as well for the altitude training. So it's, yeah, it's, it's really tough. I remember going back to Gloucester and like I said, I'm quite sort of fit and uh, anaerobically fit. Um, but coming back to Gloucester, I remember just training and just just beating everybody by, by miles, you know, and thinking that training really has worked. And uh, yeah, it's just, you know, the boys, like I say, will be in peak condition now going, going to Japan. What was, what was Switzerland like then? Because obviously... It's altitude, so that you sleep higher up the mountain, do you? Sort of to get the, the benefits. Yeah, yeah. You, you sleep, you rest at altitude, so you train um, a little bit further down. Not quite sure the, the levels, but you sleep then um, at altitude, and so any any uh, rest time or days off, they want you uh, at altitude. At altitude, so you get used to living at, at that sort of uh, height, and then you know, obviously that transition. Then when you do come back down to play, uh, you, you feel the benefits. Because I imagine that's, that's probably quite tough, sort of, at night. And I know a few of the boys are like, 
saying, you know, the heart's beating out of their chest. They're sort of, you know, probably struggling for air a bit. Yeah, yeah. And I'm asthmatic, so it's no good for oh, me. God. So it's, uh, I made sure I had plenty of acid pumps there for me. But uh, to be fair, the training was obviously really tough, but you don't actually notice too much when you're living at that altitude. It's, uh, obviously, it's, it's, doing, it's doing a lot of good, but you don't really notice too much when, when you're living at it and resting at it. Obviously, you know, you, you, you experienced two World Cups with Warren Gatland. He's coming up to his last. You've been sort of involved for about eight years of his of his 10, 11 years. How, how have you noticed him sort of develop as, as a coach in Wales, if he has sort of, yeah. What have you sort of noticed as being the sort of... Well, I think, well, since since he's taken over, the, the game has changed heck of a lot. So, you know, he's, he's obviously had to change. Um, I think he's still quite simple in, in his, his messages and how he wants boys to play. He gives, say, the forwards clear messages, doesn't cloud their minds with, with, with too much... Um, but but he's evolved as the game has evolved, and I think you know, obviously that's that's a sign of of a good coach. And you know he's had a coaching team. Well, the coaching team's been with him from the very start, so that helps. They're all on the same page, and um, I think, like you say, you know he's got the players there as well who, who can respond to that. To that. So one final question before we take some some read uh, listener questions. Um, are there any sort of funny sort of stories you can pick out from the three three World Cups you uh, you played that? Funny stories. Plenty of characters, you know. Again, yeah, I'm trying to think now. Um, well, you got me now. I think like we said in 2007, the Dwayne Peel with, with the sheep and things like that. Um, yeah, I'm trying, trying to think. You know, there's a lot of boys uh, enjoy enjoy scaring each other. You know, there's a lot of free time um, around hotels and things. So boys jumping out of uh, of laundry bins and, and things like that, trying to scare each other, but. Like I say, you know, we, these camps were, were, were quite tough, um, so you know we didn't didn't go out out to the, to the pubs and things like that a lot. So it's just about entertaining each other in, in the hotel. So yeah, I just you put me on the spot now for, for funny stories. And, like, Andy Powell must have done something in twenty eleven. Um, he up to? He's always up to something, <laughs> but uh, I can't. I can't. Think. Uh, hi, I'm Alwyn Jones. You're listening to a Welsh Rugby Podcast. Okay, so I think you've had enough questions uh, from me. Um, so let's get some questions from listeners. Uh, let's start with one off. Uh, let's let's go on off Facebook. Um, so this is from Nick Pennell. Um, it's two parter. So uh, first part of the question: If James could pick one player from another country that is going to play in this World Cup. And put them into the Wales team. Who would it be, and why? That's currently playing now. Yeah, who's going to be playing at the World Cup for another right. another country? Oh, um, it's a tough question, isn't it? It's is a tough question. Fully fit, uh, I'm firing. I'd, Manu Tulangi would be uh, pretty handy, I think. Yeah, so I'll go with Manu Tulangi. If you you never played with him, have you? You played against? Not him. with him. Yeah, I played against him a few times, but. Uh, I look at him, like you know. I know he had a lot of injuries, but you know when he's when he's fit and firing, he's an f- unbelievable player to bring down. He could, yeah, he probably, just can't he, stop. I was going to say he's run down your channel probably a few oh, times, isn't he? Yeah, a few too many times. But uh, you know, I played played with his older with his older brother Henry in Perpignan. Oh, of course, yeah. Who's uh, who's another monster? But uh, yeah, what a player! And uh, if if he's fit for England this World Cup, uh, yeah, he'd, he'd be a tough man to stop. 
Okay, and uh, the second part of Nick's question is the favourite rugby match you ever played in. Oh, um, I think Wales England games is the the, fir- the first one I probably played in the big one was what we mentioned earlier was two thousand and seven. So I'd been playing twelve all Six Nations, and uh, we had the, the final match in in the Millennium Stadium. And if we had lost, we'd have we'd had a wooden spoon. So there was, uh, there was a lot of pressure on us for for you know not the right reasons really. But um, yeah, I, I played ten. Stephen Jones was injured, and um, yeah, it just just seemed to be one of those games. Just everything I did just just went right, and uh, yeah, it was, yeah, finished off with I think it was twenty two points in the right, yeah. match, and uh, just yeah, I remember Cardiff actually was was electric. You know, nobody wanted to leave the stadium. The crowd was was singing, and you know we. Just because just we beat England and, and avoided the wooden spoon. Yeah, I think that was around the time that stereophonic song was going around, wasn't it? As long as you beat the English, I think it was around that time. <laughs> yeah, that yeah was... probably. But uh, yeah, that was a, that was a big big win for for us. And a lot, another one was probably the year after then in Twickenham, the first game that course, set yeah. us set us on the, the road to the Grand Slam. You know, we hadn't beaten England for twenty years. Um, so yeah, we've we've done all right against England. Absolutely. Um, this is the first of our questions uh, from WhatsApp. So let's have a listen to this. Hello, James. My name's John from Pontypridd. Question I got for you is: Which Welsh player are you looking forward to watch over the World Cup, and which international player are you looking forward to watch over the World Cup? Thank you. Good question. Yeah, it's a good, really good question. Welsh player. Um, I think I love watching Liam Williams. Just you know, he's got so much flair, so much talent for a guy of his size. You know, he punches well above his weight, and you know he doesn't doesn't ever seem to have a bad game. Um, so I, I I love watching Liam, um, and whether whether it's for club or country, um, and in the rest of the World Cup, um, that's another good question. Um, I think, like I mentioned, Tuilangi, you know, because obviously he's a, he's a quality player, but. I think I always like, like watching sort of Bowden Barrett as as a ten, um, so you know how he performs and you know he, he's a quality player. Um, so yeah, I go Bowden Barrett. There we go. Uh, we'll get a, another WhatsApp question now. Marcus from Slenesley. My question is: What is your biggest rugby career regret? Oof, no, not pull any punches with that no, one. That's, no, a, that's, that's a hard question. So he's talking about. On field in the game, or just um, I don't know. Yeah, well, uh, we could do both. <laughs> um, Pull out another regret. Um. Yeah, yeah. Um, a rugby playing regret. Uh, I think you'd have looked back to that semi final against France just because we come so close. And I think just obviously not performing to the way you you, you want to perform or, or visualize yourself performing. Uh, you know. I think a lot of those boys, or every single one of the boys involved in that, would like to go back and, and have another crack at that. What about off the field? Because you, you sort of alluded to it there. So, um, oh no, I just wasn't sure what he was on oh, about. Right. <laughs> I was going to say because you know, I suppose off the field, you know, the move to France worked out, moved to Gloucester worked out. So there's probably not really any sort of yeah, I think regrets there, is there? No, I think some people may say that moving to France sort of hampered my my Welsh career, but I don't think it did. I still was still getting picked. Um, or being not starting as much as I would like to when I was playing in France, but you know the the rugby. I love the rugby, you know, especially playing at home in in France, um, and and the lifestyle as well. Just 
myself and my wife and I had one one boy at the time. I got three boys now, but we hadn't we hadn't lived outside of West Glamorgan uh, bef- before then, so it was a massive move for us. Um, I remember signing the contract, and is in actually in the veil. I signed it and driving away, thinking, "What the heck have I done here now?" Like, you know, I'm way out of my comfort zone. But you know, having done it and spent three years there was uh, was amazing. I don't regret that at all. Um, next question from Leighton Nicholas on Facebook. Uh, working under Warren Gatland, what is his main strength as a head coach, and what is his main weakness? Um, I think his main strength is is the way he simplifies the game, and you know, for forwards sometimes they don't want too many things to think about. <laughs> so I think just simplifying it for those um, and breaking things down um, is is probably his main strength. Um, main weakness. Um, I think it can be a strength and a weakness. It's probably his communication. Sometimes he, he keeps his distance from the players. Um, you know, some coaches can be can be too much in your face, and, and sometimes you know some some coaches can distance yourself. And you know he does that, and uh, and it's, it's not just to any individual. That's how he does. Uh, with, with, that's what he does with all the players. Um, so I suppose that can sometimes be a weakness because sometimes you you don't feel like you can chat to him as much as you perhaps want to. Um, but you know he's been pretty successful with it. So I suppose you look at the way some of some of the boys' careers uh, ended with Wales. You know Adam Jones, Mike Phillips. That probably probably ties in a bit to that, doesn't it? It was all sort of quite abrupt, maybe. Yeah, yeah, but 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 that's the way he does it, and you know it's it's not to one individual player. It's, it's the way he does it right throughout the group so it's not like he's singling one person out um, and I suppose you, you, you've got to respect him for that OK we'll get another question off the WhatsApp Hi guys I'm Ryan from Swansea and I just wanted your opinions on what would you do if you were selecting the side for Saturday's game we know it's a test match but leading into the World Cup does it mean that much and would you be tempted to try some experimental partnerships or people playing slightly out the role for example would we like to have a look at Rhys Patchell maybe having a few minutes maybe at 12 or at 15 to just see what he can do I know he's just been chucked in to start at 10 he had a good game last weekend but is it always good to see what a player can achieve in different positions? As we know, there's going to be some quick turnarounds in Japan. And uh, we're only taking three centres. And do you think the likes of Adam Beard and Owen Watkin would benefit more from starting this test out in Ireland rather than the experienced Alwyn Jones and Jonathan Davis as they're tried and tested Lions? They know what... Uh, you know what's expected and they've been on a big stage before so do you think before the World Cup it'd be more beneficial to start the youngsters there not not to the extent of last week but just putting in the fringe players so to speak and would you think it'd be beneficial to have a look at Lee Halfpenny on one of the wings if he wants to be in that 15 as we know that Liam, Liam Williams brings uh, another dimension and a and a more more attacking threat from full back what's your thoughts on that thanks so yeah quite quite a long winded yeah, yeah. Uh, question yeah. but as, um, obviously Wales have announced their, their team mm-hmm. for Dublin so we, we do know that but I suppose there's a few um, sort of areas to pick up from there so I think the first one was 
Patchell at 12. Is that something you'd ever consider? He has, he has uh, played there for Wales before, I think. In yeah, I think so. But I think it's a little bit different. I, no, I think I wouldn't I wouldn't play him at 12. You know, They've got a very direct way of playing uh, Wales. And obviously Patchell's a big guy, but you know, you've got... Someone like Owen Watkin and Hadley Parks, you know, they're, they're specialist twelve. So probably no, probably wouldn't play Patchell at, at twelve. But it's, it's great to see him getting a start now, um, out in Dublin. Um, and I, I'm glad they, they didn't make wholesale changes and rest everybody because, like we spoke about earlier, you know, we don't want to go to Dublin and get a hammer in because that's going to do the boys no good, confidence-wise going into the World Cup. But um, yeah, like someone like Owen Watkin, I probably would have liked to have seen. Uh, yeah. Start, you know, but he had a full game last week, so you know, perhaps just off, off the off the back of that. Um, Alan Wynne Jones obviously starting, but I think if he had it his way, he would have started and played in all four matches and had eighty minutes. So you know, that's the type of player he is. So um, yeah, I, I think to be honest, with you, I think it's a decent balance to this team. You know, we got Dan Bigger on the bench, and to be honest, with you, I can't see him playing playing a lot. Probably only come on if if he's needed, maybe the last fifteen twenty minutes or something. Um, but yeah, I quite like the balance of the squad. What do you make of the uh, the fly half? Because obviously, fly half's been well, I say something that's been sort of in the headlines in the, in the last few weeks. It's something that's hit the headlines probably the last yeah. fifty years in Wales, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Um, You'd know that yourself. Obviously, Gareth Anscombe was first choice, and and Wales looked to have sort mm. of stumbled upon a nice dynamic there, where bigger would come off and sort of the bench and close games out. That's no longer the case with Anscombe. Do you see? them trying to do something similar with Patchell or do you think it's going to be very much a case of bigger starts now and then Patchell off the bench yeah yeah 100% I think bigger will, will start and um, yeah so to be fair it's just looking before Pat, uh, Anscombe got injured Patchell was probably first choice uh, fourth choice sorry in that uh, number 10 debate um, obviously Anscombe gets injured and he has that you know cameo against against Ireland and he probably leapfrogs Jared Evans because I, I think probably the Welsh management were were almost penciling in Jared Evans to go to that World Cup before. You know, he was on the bench against England the week before the Irish game starts that game. So they were looking at him to be to be their man, I think. And like I said earlier, if if Jared Evans had come off the bench and played the second half, the way the game opened up, you know, I, th- I think he probably uh, might have been might have been on the aeroplane. But uh, like I say, that's that's the way it goes, and you can't take that away from Patchell because. He's been been through a lot, you know. A couple of Six Nations ago, you know, he played really well against Scotland. Had a you know tough tough time in Twickenham, and he's he's shown his resilience and uh, how, how tough a player he is. So you know he, he deserves his place on on the on the plane. But I think that Irish game, you know, changed the minds of, of a few of the management there. Because touching on Jared, you probably you probably had that as a player, particularly on under Gatland, where basically Jared went into that with the sort of instructions from. Gatlin, that you you pretty much got forty minutes here to show, mm. not that you can play test rugby, that you can control a test, which I imagine is probably that's that's a, that's a little step extra, and it's probably something that's quite it's something that's quite hard to do sort of on your own, isn't it? Because it's a team sport. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't think he's 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 not selected because of his attacking ability. Even the way it worked out in the game, you know, if I think I think it's his kicking, which Gatlin said said about before, which perhaps put a bit of pressure on him, and you know he's. He's he's not not the biggest of blokes. He's not obviously not as big as Patchell, so he hasn't got the levers and can't get the length on the kick as, as Patchell or Dan Bigger can get or Anscombe. Um So I, I think probably ultimately looking back, you know I, I don't know what was said when when they did the selection meeting, but it probably came down to 
to, to the kick inside because attacking wise um, and he's, he's a tough old defender he'll get stuck in so I don't think that's a problem I think it just probably came down to, to that um, with with Dan Bigger, he's obviously had a lot of criticism in the in the last few weeks from sort of certain individuals from 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 the past. What have you made about the way sort of he responded to that? Because you know he was very pointed sort of post match, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah, and he he sort of proved a, a few uh, critics wrong after that game. But I think people got to learn, you know, to stop uh, criticizing Dan Bigger. He's, he's he's proved it time after time, and obviously playing with him, you know, he's he's mentally tough. So he, he he thrives off things like that. If people criticise him, he'll step up and and put a performance in. So you know when I saw the criticism leading up to that um, that what they play it was England, uh, the, Engl- the England game. game sorry, yeah, the England game. I was like, you know, it's uh, it's only going to spur him on, and you know, lo and behold, he has a as a man of the match, and yeah, he, and that's why he's going to be Wales' starting number ten without a doubt. Because when it comes, you know, okay, not not so much Georgia. Uh, and Uruguay but when it comes to Australia's and the Fijis you need a player like that in the team without a shadow of a doubt Is there perhaps a concern about how Wales where Wales' attacking game is? We were talking about the concerns of Wales attacking the Six Nations and they win the Grand Slam yeah. so I think yeah you know it's, it's it's not pretty we played like we spoke about pretty rugby against Fiji in, in 2007 and we got knocked out and I think everyone's happy when, when Wales win a game of rugby and uh, whether, whether it's by one point and a, and a last minute penalty or or fifty point win. I think they they take a fifty point loss. Sorry, they'll take the one point win definitely. Because there's always this sort of perceived wisdom that you know, oh, you know, you can sort of get by playing this way against the sort of northern hemisphere, but to to beat sort of the All Blacks, Australia, South Africa in a World Cup, we will need to find something extra. Is that is that the case, or or is it is it just a case of we just keep doing what we're doing, and as long as we're better than on the day, we don't have to find this sort of this sort of extra dimension that they sort of people sort of throw out there, don't they? Yeah, people. I remember looking back at the Six Nations, England. Uh, you know, got all, all the attacking ability in the world, and you know they're coming to Cardiff, and everyone was like, Wales have got to find a new way to attack. You know, they got to have something different against this English English team. They didn't do anything different, and they won the game. I think <coughs> the defence is so strong. All right, last week it wasn't as strong as we, we know it can be against Ireland, but. You know, when they're on their money and the full 15 are out there, they've got one heck of a defence. And they've got try scorers as well, you know, Lee, Liam Williams, George North, Josh Adams. That back three is deadly when they've got a bit of space and they can they can score tries. So I think, yeah, their attack is not what, what people some people would, would like. But if they're winning games and, and not conceding tries, then that's, that's what it's all about. OK, we'll take some more questions uh, from the WhatsApp. Question for James Hook from Shane Thomas from Kenfick Hill. Will Wales win the World Cup? There we go. Nice and simple. Yeah. I, well, obviously, I don't know. But I, I think they're more than capable of it. 100%. And I th- I think they've got to get out of the group first. I think, you know, they're talking about, you know, who they can play in the quarterfinal and different permutations. And you go back to Fiji. Fiji are a lot better team than what they were when they knocked us out in 2007. You just look at the back line they've got. They've got unbelievable players. So, And, and I think, you know, we're not naive enough to, to play in the way we probably did back in, in 2007 so I think I think we'll be fine but I, I don't think we can look past the group stages at the moment Australia are looking good they, you know they, they're not the team they probably used to be but they, yeah. they, they've got they're a good team and, and can produce performances so get out of the group and then and then Gatland is, is a master of, of winning one-off games and, and you know manipulating opposition um, so I think if we get out of the group then yeah, I'd be very confident 
because even going back four years, I know there was a sort of uh, less of a turnaround, but Fiji caused Wales all manner of problems, didn't they, in that game? Yeah, they always do, every time they play us. Um, and you can say you've got to kick in the right way, but there's going to be times in the game when the, the back three or anyone in the back line from, from nine to 15, if they have a half a sniff and they get on the front foot, then, you know... The, they're into what they what they do in love and since they've been doing since we were five years old and they just they just play you, you can't predict them. Um so Wales will obviously look to take that away from them with their kicking game and, and driving malls, etc. But uh yeah, they will will be will be tough for them. Okay, I think we've got one more question uh, on the WhatsApp, so let's get that one now. Hi, uh, James, Ned here from De Herbert. Do you think Gatlin's law should be rescinded and players like Reese Webb should be allowed to play for Wales? Yeah, I don't think it's I don't think it's Gatlin's law anymore. I think it's a sixty cap rule, but I suppose mm. the, the question still sort of remains. Um I think the Welsh Rugby Union are going to sort of review it um yeah. very soon, but it's quite a sort of unseemly sort of thing, isn't it? The sort of the way it sort of played out in the last year with Reese Webb, I suppose, being the poster boy yeah, for it. What, yeah. what, what are your thoughts? I think I think Wales, you know, they haven't got a big pool of players. So the best players, for example, someone like Reese Webb now who's a quality player, because he's playing in France and whether he knew or didn't know about the, the the rule before going, I think if if he's playing well, then you want him in the Welsh team, um, regardless of, of how many caps he's got. And you know, he's, I think rugby is a short career as well. And I think you know, not just myself, but a lot of players have, have gone, you know, because you know you do get financial gains as well. You know, we're not going to hide away from that. And to to begrudge you know a player of that, um, and you know say well, you know you either go for the money. Or, or not play international rugby it's quite tough so I think all around well if a player's done well to earn that that sort of money then then he should should be allowed to go and, and it can bring through younger players in Wales and the regions as well but then if you look at the other side of the coin then you want your best players playing for your regions um, and obviously the supporters seeing seeing those in the regions so it, it is a tough one and it's good they're reviewing it um, but you know I think you look at the other side of the coin like I say Alan Wynn who's, who's staying in the Ospreys him, you know, bringing through young second rows as, as a great player and ambassador of the game, he is is brilliant for Welsh rugby. But yeah, I think if if players have earned the right to go and play in, in big clubs, and you know, for example, Rishweb in France, or you know, Liam Williams, prime example, going away and he's probably had an unbelievable experience winning the European Cup, playing with with fantastic players. If he can bring that experience back to the, to the Welsh team, then I think it can only benefit the Welsh squad. So. Yeah, hopefully they'll take all that into consideration and uh, come up with the right, the right result. Okay, I think we got one more question. That's on Twitter. Uh, it's from George. Um, how many injuries will be required in order for you to play at the World Cup? Benak, <laughs> you, you any good with Japanese? <laughs> Not at all. No, I've never been to Japan. Mine, so that'd be nice. But uh, oh, I tell you, a good few injuries. A good few. We'll try and get in the Ospreys team first. There we go. I think that's uh, everything, James. I uh, hope you've enjoyed being on the podcast. Yeah, it's been great. Thanks for having me. No worries. Um, we've had your pre- well, we've had your prediction for the World Cup of sorts. What's your prediction for a Saturday? Um, I'm gonna go for for a Wales win. I'm gonna go for a Wales win. Um, it's gonna be tough, but I remember that before last World Cup, they went up to Dublin and and put a performance in and got a win. And they're on fear going out there and. They seem to know, you know, how to, how to beat Ireland. Gatland seems to seems to know how to break them down. So they'll have a strong team, but I think if we can get a win and get a confidence before we go on the plane to Japan, it'll all be good. 
There we go. Nice positive way to end the podcast. Um, so that's it for today's podcast. Uh, we'll be back, I think, early next week for a look back on the Island game. But for all the latest Welsh rugby news in between then and now, you can catch it all on Wales Online.